3: you're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show this afternoon. Hope you had a nice weekend. Wasn't Saturday just a pet day? It was absolutely glorious. The heat. I was playing golf with two great guys, Nick and Ben Hatton and myself. we out in Baltray and we played 18 and we all played great. We did. We did indeed. We had great scores. I'm not joking you. But what a day it was. And we enjoyed wonderful hospitality afterwards from the money doctor himself, Mr John Lowe. And I want to thank everybody for a lovely day on Saturday and say hello to Nick and Ben, who I believe will be tuned in from the UK to us this afternoon. What about yesterday? Well, was nothing for it. But lock yourself down and stay in Ireland for you. The rain, the rain, not, oh my God, don't get me started on the rain in Ireland. Anyway, our reservoirs are full again and rivers are flowing and it's good to know that. Welcome to the show. We've lots of and guests over the next couple of hours. If you want to get in touch with us, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text is our contact number. I want to uh, begin by reading a quote uh, from uh, the Irish Independent on Saturday. Just listen to this. Uh, uh, It's brilliant. Uh, And it's in the context of Queen Elizabeth. It says she was completely unspoiled, a woman of privilege, but not entitlement of wealth who worked all her life, of faith but neither piety nor bigotry, who suffered but disdained to complain in a time when self-realisation is considered divine. She subordinated herself into the sacrament of her sovereignty. The wonderful words from this parish, Miss Sarah Carey. Hello, Sarah.
4: Hello Jerry. how are you?
3: I am really good and I was really touched and struck by your article the weekend, I had to say. Uh, congratulations on it. I think it's simply brilliant. Those words there really bring it all home about her. Because you'll hear people saying about the Queen, sure she lived a privileged life, she hadn't a worry in the world.
4: Yeah, and sure, who'd want it? I mean, who'd want it? She couldn't say a single word, do a single thing without the eyes of the world on her. And I saw someone else say today, the fact that every single member of her family failed to do the job properly shows just how hard it is and just how well she did it. She never, ever, ever put a word wrong. And, you know, here's another little aspect. Apparently linguists are very interested in Queen Elizabeth because she's one of the only people in the world whose voice recorded from when she was a small child until she was an old woman. And they can track her voice throughout all those years. There's no one else in the world like that. And did she ever once say a wrong word? No, none of us could do it, Jerry. None Mm.
3: of us. That's an amazing fact Mm. about our voice, isn't it? It's a really amazing thing. The other thing, many uh, of your words resonated with me strongly. But in the context of all that's happened, you know, four prime ministers, isn't it now, in the UK in a very short space of time. And the words you said, that she sat alone, and I quote you, at her husband's funeral, while Boris Johnson's staff partied until they vomited into the toilets at number 10.
4: Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what happened that night. They mm-hmm. were parting that much. That's the condition that they ended up in. And she was there obeying to the very, very end the rules that everybody else had to obey during COVID. And she did a very, very important speech to the British nation during lockdown and uh, and saying, we'll meet again, which was resonant, of course, of World War Two and Vera Lynn and that song and a time that she lived in. So that role as anchoring the state, you know, head of state and giving people some kind of consistency and dignity when their politicians are letting them down so badly um, is was really, really needed. And so now will King Charles be able to do the same thing? And I said in that piece, too, that I think he yeah. will, because he's been there for each one of those 70 years. You know, he's endured it all, too. And fine, he had a very unhappy life. But he seems now to have settled and is happy with Camilla. And I don't think there's anyone who would begrudge him the job. And I don't think anyone who misunderstands, you know, what goes with that job and how tough it is. And I think as well now when I saw Harry, you know, being the last one to arrive in Balmoral, the first one out that morning. And I wonder now, has he realized the gravity of his error? And that it may have seemed like it was just a circus and the family didn't matter. But Mm. now you see that it actually does matter and Mm. it's a bit like our president you know that role as head of state never matters until the moment that it actually does matter Mm. and you need somebody who knows what they're doing in the job.
3: I thought Charles spoke really powerfully in his first speech as King about his mother and reflecting on the task he was taking on but this Harry thing is interesting in that there is a book on the horizon Mm. you do know this uh, that you know, could possibly unhinge uh, the olive branch that's been handed by Charles to his son. Do you think that will be published, that
4: Uh, Well, you know, I was thinking the last few days, should he just tell them to get it and not publish the book? Or maybe there's stuff in it that he could take out. Yes. But, um, and maybe the death has come in time for him to have a second think about the path he's taken. And fine, we all know it's terrible, like... You're born into this life. There's no way out of it. Obviously, when he saw the way Megan was being treated in the press, and she was treated really, really badly, mm. he saw himself as being in a position to rescue her in a way that as a child he couldn't rescue his mother. Like, these are all very profound emotions and yes. predicaments he's been in. But writing a book about them all? is just going to make everything worse. And will it really be really worth it? So I certainly hope he'll at least flick through it again before it comes out and see if there's anything particularly damaging or inflammatory he could um, remove and try and and heal things a bit because it's not worth it. And lots of families, you know, have rips and falling out and things like that. And it's always to just pause before you do anything that's going to escape. Mm.
3: She was the queen of moving on. That's a big statement you make of her.
4: Yeah, and I give the example of Martin McGuinness. You know, we had the troubles here in Northern Ireland and thousands and thousands of families were affected by bombings and shootings psychologically and physically, and so was her family. So, you know, Lord Mountbatten, whom the IRA blew up, along with the other members of his family, including his grandson and the local boy, Paul Maxwell, you know, was her much-loved cousin and a very influential member of that family. But she stepped up and she shook hands with Martin McGuinness, you know, who was the commander of the IRA at that time. And, um, you know, she understood that it needed to be done. And remember when she came to Ireland, Gerry, and everyone was so nervous, mm. you know, about how that would go down. And I think there was nervousness that maybe our politicians would be cowtowing and bowing and scraping too much. Or, you know, would there be protests or, you know, would she get the tone wrong? And she was just extraordinary in the way that she handled everything and going to Crow Park, you know, where Bloody Sunday had taken place, going to the Garden of Remembrance. Like, she just played it all so brilliantly. And the whole sense of relations between the Irish and the British state at that time was so warm. And actually, it's in stark contrast to relations now, which mm. probably haven't been as bad since the Troubles. So um, we'll see will King Charles be able to do anything to, yes. to heal that risk. That's, that's very necessary. One thing I'd like to say, Jerry, is that I don't think has been mentioned too much in the past few days. And I, I use that term that you quoted there at the start about the sacrament of her sovereignty. I think that was the key thing about her and how she managed to achieve the role. When you're anointed uh, a monarch of England, you know, that's a ceremony that goes the whole way back to Edward I and has elements of what went on in the Bible with the anointing of King Solomon. And she absolutely saw that as similar to being um, ordained a priest or a nun. She saw it very much in a divine way and, you know, that she was responsible to God. She was, You know, she, she believed in her Christianity and she believed in the sacrament um, of the monarchy very, very deeply. And I think that helped her realised what was important as she went about her role on a day-to-day basis.
3: She, and, um, yeah? Yeah, she was a rom- woman of mm. immense deep faith.
4: Yes, and yes, did an awful lot for multi-faith relations yes. um, in England. And um, and like I said, you know, she wasn't pious and she wasn't a bigot. She just um, showed her faith by the way that she lived and uh, and very warm to everybody. And, you know, a lot of people remarked as well, deeply interested in all the former colonies and realms, you know, and the people of Africa and India and that, like, you know, when it would have been, well, you know, given the time that she was born in, you know, it would have been easy for her to have, you know, kind of be racist at times or to have a, you know, superior colonial attitude towards the other countries of the Commonwealth. And she wasn't. She did an awful lot for the Commonwealth and for kind of helping the empire to dissolve in as peaceful way as it mm. could. Mm. I and mean, in the limited role that she had for
3: yes. what to do for it. And, and yeah. when, when you think, Sarah, like she received Liz Truss at Balmoral, virtually probably 48 hours or less before she died. And she couldn't have been in good fettle, if you know what I mean. And yet, Judy called to the very end and she didn't want
4: yeah, she, it was working till the end and mm. she knew that there was going to be change of prime minister. And you wonder, was she just determined to keep going until yes. she could perform that last great task? Mm. And she did. Yes. So, um, you know, wonderful determination. And then I mentioned in the piece as well, you know, I mean, that should be inspiration for us. That whole thing about showing up, doing your job, doing something for others, and um, never complaining, <laughs> no matter mm. what life throws at you, you know, that endurance and that stoicism, we admire that so much. And is there any way we could maybe, you know, take on a little bit of that ourselves and maybe try and model that behavior ourselves, Jerry? Because we are heading into a tough winter now. Yes. And um, that blitz spirit um, that she exemplified, because remember, it was widely expected that she and Margaret would have um, been sent to Canada during World War Two. Mm But the royal family stayed and the girls were sent out to Windsor, which was a horrible empty old place uh, during the worst of the blitz. You know, so maybe we could adopt a little bit of her spirit as we're heading into the winter. It might do us all a bit good.
3: As we sit with the two jumpers on and the lights out, I know what you're talking about and all that type of thing. We're ready for it and us of an era are certainly prepared uh, to do it and it's a fine message to deliver today. Back to Charles, just on mm. uh, on him and him, his accession to the throne now. He has very fond uh, time for Ireland and links with Ireland and has been here on a number of occasions. In that relationship you mentioned is fractured at the minute with the Brexit thing and, and uh, you know all that stuff with border and goods and trade. Can he help?
4: Oh, I think he can, um, because it's about creating warmth and it's about stating. Look, our destinies are bound together. You know, irrespective of which political associations we're in or who's um, in charge, who's prime minister, who's Taoiseach, we're bound by history. And um, we can't get away from each other. It's a bit like mm. being in a family. And and I think he can do an awful lot. And it's especially when you've got Liz Truss, who is such an ingenue. I mean, she's very little experience. And I think you saw that in the last few days. She looks slightly terrified when she was um, yes. being brought to see the Queen. And then uh, King Charles um, on Saturday, was it? So, um, so I think he actually will be able to give her a steady hand. And uh, and let her know, like you know, there are those big institutions of state behind her, and you know, and maybe guide her a little bit. So I'd be, I'd have every confidence. And you know, people have commented that unlike his mother, he often commented on political issues, but he was always on the right side, mm. you know, on climate change, the environment, agriculture, architecture. While his views may not have been strictly speaking, appropriate, and that he wasn't supposed to express any views. They were the correct views, and Mm -hmm. he's been proved right by where we are now. So I think he's quite a sober, intelligent man, and uh, I think he has an awful lot to offer.
3: I expect to visit, I'd expect he'd like to visit Ireland as king sometime uh, during his reign, whatever length that will be for, and that might happen a a little sooner than later in the context of, of all that's going on. Yes. As a woman, Sarah Carey, how do you feel about no more queens for some time?
4: Well, look, I was just thinking like, that she was the anomaly. You know, that like it was so unusual that she would be queen at all. Mm. And um, and now we're back to the king, the more traditional uh, role. I suppose it'd be very interesting to see how Camilla does. And, and I think Kate you know the princess of wales yes. now um i think if they are both solid and supportive and are very much seen to be partners uh with each of their husbands in their jobs you know i think that can be um i think that can be a good role model yes. um i'm not entirely bound up with you know that as a, a feminist you know the the monarchy is <laughs> such an old institution i'm not sure it necessarily needs be a feminist one but I think they're sound people and I think they'll, they'll do fine and they're not flaky and they won't give trouble. <laughs> <And> that's <laughs> all you're
3: really looking for. That <laughs> is all you're looking for for sure. Anyway it's it's the beginning of, of a new year for sure and we await with interest as he uh, settles himself into the role and what that means uh, for the UK of course especially mm. and uh, uh, the relationship between this island and it because we just do need a calming presence there's no doubt about that isn't it at this time
4: yes there is Mm. and actually Jerry now I'll give you a laugh I'm actually going to London on Thursday and uh, I said, I'm going to go over. It's a historic moment and see the lying in state and soak up the atmosphere and see what it feels like to be there when England is undergoing such a significant transition. So there I'll be able are. to report back to you.
3: Great, great stuff. Well, and we'll keep <laughs> you to fun. that for sure next week to get the feel for it. And, and you know, we're talking here today and I'm, some people, some people I'm sure are listening saying, what are they on about this again? For? But I say it once more. Uh, the royal family have a huge following in in this country and there's a huge interest in them and that needs to be said
4: absolutely it does and um, and like I said you know the countries are bound together like we can't pretend that it's nothing to do with us it is everything to do with us. And in fact, in that article, I was talking about King George V, her grandfather, you know, who was king when, you know, the War of Independence and all of that was going on. A king in 1916, he was outraged about the executions. You know, like, Ireland is important to them. So, um, and then also, they're just proximate to us, Like, they're just next door and it's hard to avoid them. It is. So even, and I think we're very good at seeing the humanity in them. So aside from the politics of it, you know, look, there they're a family there on display, we feel like we all know them. You know, it would be mm. weird if you weren't interested in them, to be honest.
3: <laughs> well, you know what? I always say to you, you're absolutely great. And make sure to read her in, in independent newspapers and her opinion columns because they're fantastic. And I'm always grateful when you give us your time, Sarah Carey. Thanks a million. You are very, very welcome. I owe you commission nearly for all the money. <laughs> You're great. Oh, not at all. We'll never repay it. Take care, Sarah. Bye-bye. Yes, I... Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Sarah Carey there, brilliant journalist, broadcaster with her views and uh, interesting views. You can look at up online there, her column on Saturday in the Irish Independent. you would with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We'll toddle off for a short break. Back in a moment.
1: It's Sport with Louise, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. Not as we know it. It's Sport with Louise, but not as we know it. It's Sport with Louise.
3: They're actually clamouring to have you back on Friday after last <laughs> Friday. They are. Stop laughing. I met a number of people over the weekend and said that was fantastic. And you got one of your predictions spot on, didn't you? Well, uh, Did I? I think you did. I don't know. You, you picked Kildarki, did you?
5: I picked Kildarki, but did you not <laughs> think, say the game was cancelled?
3: No, I think played in <laughs> they played an intermediate rather than senior. Anyway, we'll give it to you. Don't talk to me <laughs> the about... The
5: granny rule, you see.
3: <laughs> don't talk to me about my selection, so they all <laughs> flunked, talk beaten, drawed, got nothing, Draw, to God, not and draw to were absolutely hopeless on Friday night. Anyway, they're clamouring to have you back this Friday. And oh, um, no. she was involved in, in a sporting moment herself the weekend. Tell them what happened to you. It's
5: very dangerous to be a spectator very, at games. very. I got basted with football. <laughs> I was on the sideline watching <laughs> Dramin play Turnfleck and Celtic term One. one yes. and um, I had to literally look text a girl who was bringing my six year old home from a party because I had to run and get him so I literally just took my phone out and text the girl and next thing boom
3: <laughs> she was bolexed
5: <laughs> I have football I'm telling you there's some power in it Oh, there I is. actually have bruises.
3: I'm not surprised. <laughs> and you know, you were caught unaware as you were looking at the phone, and bang! You know, yeah, you can imagine the surprise. Shouldn't be looking at a
5: phone on the sidelines.
3: No, 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 no. But your look at this woman is always looking at her
5: phone. <laughs> These things only happen to me, you know. <laughs> but
3: <laughs> anyway, it's part of your learning in the sporting world, and you can bring it into your into your knowledge and your research for Friday next week. Still X haven't the got show. the uh, the offside rule though. <laughs> well, we I don't think ever. We're well, coming back to that on Friday. We have to really return to that. It's not an easy subject, I know, but we are returning to it. <laughs> anyway, coming up after two, he's a very interesting man because he can get you all going with organic growing. Yes, he can. Now, you know on late lunch how we love our garden. And Nikki Kyle, the Queen of Organic Gardening, joins us on the show every month to guide us along. Well... My next guest is in this sphere, I have to say, because he is the man behind New Fields, which aims to bring the farm into people's homes. I'm delighted to say hello to Dennis Manske. Hello, Dennis.
6: Hi, Gerry. How are you? Thanks for having me on.
3: Not at all. You're very welcome to the show. This is right up our street, right up our alley. Not to hear it. Glad to hear it. <laughs> First off, tell us a bit about you and your background. You can cook. I can cook, yeah,
6: yeah. Well, well, I used to be a chef before before I dove into the the realm of of uh, online e-commerce and stuff. I was a chef uh, in a few restaurants, uh, mainly in hotels in Dublin, and I worked in Germany and um, a few uh, in in Dublin City Center and stuff. So, yeah, that's that's really where I kind of that's that that was my passion. I studied it in college and stuff, and. Um yeah, that's 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 kinda how I started out originally.
3: So New Fields is your business now and you yeah. started it uh, in twenty twenty. So you're a young business finding your way. But obviously as a chef, fresh ingredients are so important to you.
6: Absolutely. Fresh and as local as possible. That's that's um that's kind of the, the I think that's the way the world needs to go really, you know.
7: Mm.
6: Um and, and that's what and uh, when you say fresh and as local as possible, I think the best way that you can achieve that is to grow it yourself yes. or to, to get it as, as, as close to, to where it's consumed as possible for, for a whole variety of reasons. And that's really what we we, we promote. But we also promote, like our, our my business is all about growing food very efficiently. You know, you don't even need to have a garden uh, to use our products and um, to grow it as quickly as possible really. So it, it has kind of, you know, it's it's accessible to everyone, young and old, mm. Uh, and yeah, so that's that's that's
3: what. Right, that's your that's your ethos, that's your philosophy, and that's what yeah. your business is built on. And you're right, uh, Nikki. I mentioned there, Nikki Kyle has often said to us, and more recently she's emphasising it. Uh, you know, we've got to look after ourselves because the uh, the food supply chain is vulnerable, and it, it, there is a huge vulnerability there now. And you come nicely into this. Now, when you started, really, your aim was what? Restaurant customers.
6: Yeah, so that's that's how it started out originally. I was growing uh, microgreens, uh, which are basically the seedlings of uh, of any vegetable you can think of, and they come in all different colours, uh, flavours, shapes and sizes. Uh, but they're ready to, to, to from when you plant the seed to harvest. They're ready in about ten to fourteen days. Uh, so in, instead of growing one large vegetable. Uh, For several months, you're you're growing basically thousands of little seedlings uh, in the space of a week, or you know, max two weeks. Uh, And restaurants, you you, like you and your listeners probably came across them if you go to a fancy restaurant and you see them on top of your as a garnish on top of your dish. But it turns out they're actually incredibly nutrient dense, like some some varieties up to forty to two hundred times. The levels of antioxidants and stuff then yes. than the mature vegetables. So, so that's originally how I started was growing them for the local restaurants. And then obviously COVID forced the restaurants to close down, which was was you know kind of put an end to the business before it had really even started. And then once my friends started, my friends had been kind of watching my 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 journey uh, growing them for restaurants. And once everyone was kind of locked up inside, I uh, started getting requests for oh, would you mind showing me how to. I had the roadies myself at home. So I started putting kits together. And yeah, long story short, we're we're now shipping, you know, we've shipped nearly 10,000 orders to 15 different countries across Europe. Uh, we've even shipped uh, seeds down to Antarctica you know, so you really can't grow them anywhere. <laughs> Brilliant.
3: Yeah. This is a one great story. And it proves again, uh, Dennis, that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And you might Absolutely. never have looked in this direction, but for COVID. So you see, there always is a silver lining somewhere. So... You have said a moment ago to me that even if you live in an apartment, which many people do in our neck of the woods now, or you don't have a garden or whatever, this shouldn't be an impediment to you doing this.
8: Absolutely
6: not. I and mean, You know, it's a, this is, this is it doesn't even really take, you know, seasons don't even really come into play here because it's you're literally just growing them for the first kind of 10 days or so. So all you need is, is a good quality seed, uh, something for the roots to grow into, and not even that, like we also do sprouting kits, uh, where you basically you just have the seed, you soak the seeds, you rinse it twice a day and in five to six days, uh, you have a germinated seed which is just a powerhouse of nutrition and you know, you don't you don't even need sunlight really to to achieve that. You're just the, the seed is converting the the starches that are that the parent plant bestowed upon it into into vitamins and, and minerals and stuff, and then that's that's what we would then benefit from when we consume it. So you know, I I have just a jar sitting on my kitchen counter. 365 days a year you just have a steady consistent source of of really nutritious Mm -hmm. food Mm
3: -hmm. and that's very important as we enter you know the autumn and winter and next spring season as well when growing Uh, it's a challenge but there you are you can do this all year round now I've been looking at your website and uh, uh, some points that struck me from it so what you supply are uh, microgreens talk to me about them first what microgreens are I know you touched on it a moment ago
6: yeah yeah so there 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 the the seedling basically of um of any vegetable and it's kind of the there 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 are four main stages of a, of a plant's life you have the sprout or the germinated seed then you have the microgreen uh then you have the baby leaf which is about two weeks older than a microgreen and then you would have the mature plant after that so the microgreen is basically the the very juvenile stage of of a of a vegetable mm. Um, and, yeah, so we stock we, we about 50 different varieties of, of microgreen seeds on our website, everything from beetroot to turnip greens to different kind of Asian leaves like mizuna or komatsuna, or um, we do things like fennel. Uh, and then we also do seed mixes that are, that are unique to us. So we have a mix called the Good Gut Mix, which uh, we developed alongside a, a, a microbiome researcher, which kind of has uh, proven health benefits for your for your gut health and stuff like that. So, so there really it's this is it's a it's a really untapped source of um, you know kind of the the potential there for for you know. To, to grow these at a very local setting within yeah. the city and stuff like that is, is, is huge.
3: Yeah. Mm. And sprouts, we're familiar with the bean sprout, but you have a range of sprouts there as well, and they're similar. They come on in a matter of days, don't they?
6: Yeah, like five five days even, yeah. So between three and five days, you can generally start harvesting them. Um, and it's, it's you know, it's it's that, that they're kind of my favourite because it's an absolutely zero-waste way of growing food. You basically put the seeds in the jar, you you rinse them twice a day and after four or five days all that comes out is, is edible sprouts and nice. you just go again, you know, so yeah. there's no waste... Uh, and it's it's literally you know anyone could do it it's uh and it's a, it's a great way if you're not really if you if you feel like you have black fingers or other than green fingers it's a great way to dip your toes into the world of growing your own food
3: <laughs> anyone can become green fingered i'm an old yeah. gardener myself and i have a tunnel and a greenhouse yeah, yeah. and i just love it you know i grow on probably a larger scale than this micro but it's something i'd never i've never tried but i'd i'd love to give a go to and, and i will i promise you because it's uh, it's so so interesting you also supply veg and wheatgrass, and you, we do know and we've spoken about it on the show before, wheatgrass has many, many properties.
6: Absolutely. Yeah, like one shot of wheatgrass is the equivalent to one kilo of dark leafy leafy green veg. Mm. Which is absolutely incredible when you think about it, yeah. Um and again that like that's that's ready to harvest in seven days. Um so you know, when you kind of compare the two to each other like one one shot of wheatgrass versus a kilo of of veg that's taken that's like you know taken several months to grow and then is also flown in from from all over the world and yes. stuff like that. Yes, um,
7: yes,
6: yeah, it's, it's I think there's huge potential kind of in the in the space and like we're we're seeing uh, our demand for our products grow steadily kind of month on month it's, it's
3: really mm. brilliant to see yeah. I see you uh, bring your chef expertise to bear as well I love your pea shoot pesto and yeah, your oh sprout kimchi they sound yeah, very no, interesting to try that. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the
6: pea shoot pesto is one of the, the most delicious if you, if you try nothing else try that it's,
3: it's okay. absolutely incredible Yeah. ok and I, I will I will and, and as I say you bring your knowledge from the kitchen and as a chef to bear mm. as well I love what you're doing and I just wanted to give you an airing today I really do and just I to really tell appreciate that oh, not so at much. all not at all and it's Newfields that's N-U-F-I-E-L-D-S New N-U fields.com newfields.com all the information is there I'm not surprised you're a success I, I really ain't and I wish you continued success as thanks well so much, keep yeah. doing yeah. what you're doing Dennis wonderful thanks yeah really appreciate it thank you thanks for thanks. joining me on the show bye bye that's uh, a great guy there and you can do it if you're listening to us today any of us can do this and what a way to get you started at this time of the year check them out newfields.com Dot com. He's a good guy, uh, Dennis Manske There speaking to me on your late lunch. Dead gulls on our beaches uh, along the shoreline on the northeast. Reported extensively. What's happening? Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland. Our good friend joins me again. Hello, Nile.
8: Hello. Yeah, very concerning, isn't it? Um, really, really sorry to see this. Um, we've, we've been bird watching tournament getting lots of reports of of some dead gulls, but actually mainly dead gannets other type of quite large seabird found dead along quite a lot of the beaches and actually coming well inland as well. Unfortunately, it seems pretty clear that the the, cause is almost certainly avian flu, I'm afraid, quite badly by this, it seems.
3: And the gannet, of course, a bird that I'm familiar with, you'll see them diving from up in the sky, right down under the water, and up they come with their wee fish to feed themselves. They're amazing creatures. Niall, you know, you wouldn't think that such wild animals and birds, you know, out in the open air would contract this. How is it happening?
8: Well, um, we, we were kind of expecting this would arrive in Ireland because we'd seen problems at seabird colonies elsewhere in Europe, particularly in Britain during the course of the summer. And what happens is when seabirds are nesting, in many cases, particularly in the case of gannets, they're nesting together in, in very close proximity to each other. You can have hundreds or even thousands of these birds all crowded together. And obviously those, that provides the um, the ideal uh, circumstances for a virus to spread rapidly among the population and, and, to, and to take hold. So it seems that that's what's happened. And then what can also happen after that is once these, these birds are dead or are dying. They get scavenged on by other creatures. It could be gulls, it could be crows, maybe birds of prey, also foxes and rats and even dogs maybe, and they can also be susceptible to this disease. So it it is quite a worry, and and certainly we've had hundreds of reports in the last couple of weeks of um, of these dead birds on beaches. Also, some of the Gannett's other seabirds very oddly being found well inland, Mm. several kilometres away from the sea, turning up in in places like gardens and car parks and along along roadways, and um, that's something that a bird like a gannet would normally never be anywhere away from the yes. sea. They have no interest in going to land at all. So something's obviously disorientating them or causing them distress. So it seems to be kind of a symptom of this this awful disease unfortunately
3: yeah we're getting the reports right along the coastline here no, uh, t- to tell you the truth Nile on uh, Clotterhead Sea Point, and down that end of the coastline there are birds uh, lying there dead uh, at the edge of the tide as I say what do you say to listeners today who are out walking have their dogs with them maybe a child goes over and touches them What? What's, what should you do or not do
8: Well, the the first thing is, uh, as the Department of Agriculture, which is taking the lead on this in Ireland, is stressing, it's important that people don't touch these birds or don't try to help them. Horrible though that sounds, and as a bird lover myself, it breaks my heart to say it, but the fact is that um, there is a risk, a small risk, but still a risk, that this disease could spread to humans. So it's it's very important that people resist the temptation to to handle these birds, or to help them. Uh, Animal rescue and rehabilitation places won't take them in um, because of the risk of of disease risk, both human humans and to the other animals in their care. And so that's that's the first thing. What we would ask people to do, however, is to please log their sightings of these birds with the Department of Agriculture. And they have a special web portal on their website called Avian Check. People can find that there. If they go, if you go to birdwatcherland.ie, we have a link to it on the front page of our website. You can see it there, in it's sort of a red background. You can find it there quite quite easily. And please report them there. Um, but also, um, we're, we're 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 worried. And um, you know, that these are being reported to the Department of, of Agriculture, but it doesn't seem like anybody's collecting the carcasses. The reason why the Department of Agriculture is involved, we believe, is because. Um, because of the risk that this poses to the poultry industry, to to domestic um, chickens and ducks and turkeys and so on, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, a, that's that's a very real risk, and, and and certainly something that we should be very mindful of. Um, so it's 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 baffling to be honest why more effort isn't being made to collect these carcasses to stop animals scavenging on them, to stop to reduce the likelihood of this actually spreading into poultry or indeed to other wild bird populations. Which is from from Bert journal's point of view, that's our main concern, that's our remit, and um, obviously is wild bird conservation. Um, it just seems to be. It seems to be going unchecked. We don't know what what the role of the department is here. We don't know what the National Parks and Wildlife Service, what role they're playing. Uh, Certainly consultation with NGOs like Birdwatch Ireland has been almost non-existent and that's concerning. Um, We have a lot of advice and, and expertise to provide here but also we're at the coalface we're the people that are, that are receiving reports of these birds um, and yet we're not being told what's happening or what advice to give out so it is it is, it is, um, it is very worrying mm. we will ask people please report them to the department and please resist the urge to touch
3: them Yeah that's very important advice and we know the poultry industry is very important in this country as well and we can understand the apprehension but still uh, these carcasses need to be collected One of your many fans on Late Lunch Angela and you have many let me tell you Nile hatch every time you're on uh, Angela is concerned about "'about her bird table and all the lovely birds in her garden. "'Could they be affected?' she wants to know, ultimately."
9: Well, the the,
8: the 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 good news is there that it's, it's very unlikely to cause an effect for, for garden birds. They, they um, some of them may be susceptible to disease, the disease, but they're much less likely to come into contact with it than uh, than seabirds or birds that are using those sort of water bodies. So we're particularly worried in the, in the coming um, coming weeks and months for migratory ducks and geese and waders that'll be arriving into Ireland. They could come into contact with this, but birds around people's gardens it, it's much less likely. So mm. I can I can't categorically rule it out, but yes. the risk is very very low. I don't think people need to worry about that. So
3: So, are we at the uh, whim of Mother Nature that you're hoping that this passes? Or can anything be done when you tell us, you know, about the nesting scenario, birds coming here, how it gets in? What's to be done?
9: Well, um,
8: I I suppose there's many ways to answer that question. I suppose the most immediate one would be something has to be done to try and minimise the spread of this within, within wild populations and collecting the carcasses is, is one way to do that it obviously is probably impossible to prevent the transmission completely but it's a way to slow it down and, and, and maybe minimise the number of, uh, of casualties of this. But secondly we have to ask ourselves where these diseases are coming from and a lot of it comes from, it's not the fault of anybody here in Ireland but a lot of it actually comes from um, from uh, from duck farms um, particularly in parts of Asia uh, where there are incubators for these diseases and lots of these new strains of diseases come out of these, these massive farms of millions upon millions of ducks and geese all crammed in together. We know from, from previous outbreaks that actually, you know, people would assume that um, the disease spreads along the migratory routes of birds. It doesn't to begin with. It actually spreads along the road and rail networks as, as domestic poultry are being transported. So that's I'm just to stress that it's not the fault of any poultry producers mm. in Ireland, not at all. Um, they're, they're victims like everybody else. And um, But we do need to look at agricultural practices elsewhere in the world and how they are impacting animal health and ultimately human health. Uh, we've all just been through an unprecedented uh, period when we've become very concerned about pandemic diseases ourselves and seeing what can happen when proper biosecurity measures aren't in place uh, where diseases from wild animals can spread to human populations and then become uh, an endemic disease. Uh, This is uh, uh, something that a lot of lessons have been learned. We need to make sure that more is done in terms of biosecurity to make sure that wild animals aren't put at risk but also humans aren't put at risk. A lot of that unfortunately does come down to agricultural practices. Not in Ireland, I must stress, but elsewhere.
3: Niall, as usual, thank you so much for joining me on the show today to give sound advice. And again, I just repeat what Niall said there, Department of Agriculture, Avian Check or Birdwatch Ireland, please do uh, report any cases that you come across, but do not touch. My next guest in late lunch this afternoon is making a return to the show. Last time he was here, he, he reminds me, sure, I wouldn't remember, March 2019, before all hell broke loose in the world a year later, and he had an ACL problem, so... So He was off his walking tours, if I could say. And I did say today earlier on doing the promo for the show, this man has walked 10,000 miles, as the famous song says, and more. Paul Maguire, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jerry. Great to see you again. Great to see you too. The ACL at the time, I remember you now you talking to me about that and you were uh, out of action. When did you get back? Take us on from March
2: 2019. Okay, so a uh, torn ACL as a result of a car, a car unfortunately hit me while I was cycling home um that was in March 19 i got back to the mor mountains in November 19 which I was really happy with so thanks very much to the surgeon and to the physio team here in drought that got me back
3: are you nervous when you go back after a major procedure like Ab- that
2: absolutely like um the likelihood of a reoccurrence of an ACL is is actually relatively high um yeah very very afraid um I have been in a, a, a you know an avid cyclist down through through the years regularly used to cycle to Dublin to work and home Mm. Um, but like to cycle down the road now uh, it's just it's too much uh, it's too much stress Uh, the roads are not uh, a friendly place for cyclists at the moment I don't think
3: we need we're not geared when you think of the Dutch model I always think of the Dutch model you're probably familiar with yourself where they're geared to bikes and it's safer and I couldn't agree with you more with the roads and that's an interesting point you make so back to the morns in November then uh, the world closes down how yeah. does that affect a man
2: like you yeah who loves to be up the mountains <laughs> yeah well uh yeah so it's basically a walk on the block aren't you because we were limited to mm. two and five kilometers and eventually broke out to 10 so i was able to walk from my house to Laytown and back which gave me a 25k round trip that was great and i could stand on the beach in Laytown and look at the morns from there Uh, so eventually of course um, we were allowed to travel within the county that got me up to Carlingford Mm. and then we were able to travel into the north so we were able to go to places like the Moorans and down into Wicklow and other places like. So
3: you were able to fulfil that fix that you need to be out in the open air and and in the mountains as well but look at Ireland is fantastic and and that got you back going then September 21 to the Pyrenees
2: Yeah uh, my intention was to hike the Pyrenees from the Atlantic uh, 800 kilometers over to the Mediterranean. Uh, I spent a couple of weeks out there and uh, the hike just didn't work out for me. And, and I came back after about two weeks on that one. So that one is uh, a little bit of unfinished business that I will return to. Mm. And I'd like to come back to you and tell you all about oh, that one. That's
3: done. <laughs> no problem. But you know, you know, just to tell our listeners about mm. you, mostly alone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't get other uh b- people to do this type of thing you know uh, so so you if you if you're waiting to get a like-minded soul to go and do, do it you're you're you you just got to be waiting so you've got to go out and do it yourself but i will say uh you will meet lots of people on the trail like-minded people that will also be maybe alone and you know it's it's like being back back with your friends again and mm. uh, and you make new friends and it's it's fantastic.
3: And of course, you're following roots and you have your phone with you yeah. and all that type of thing. But you pitch the tent and mm-hmm. you're in the dark, perhaps alone yeah, in a place yeah, yeah, with yeah. nobody within miles of, of where you are. Yeah. I think I mentioned this to you before. What goes through your mind or do you not just think about yeah, that?
2: Well, if I if I go back to like the Appalachian Trail as yes. an example, uh, like first night on the trail I'm in a tent and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm literally surrounded by coyotes uh, screaming at each other. You know, they're like a bunch of, um, you know, uh, a bunch of party goers all, all, all communicating. They're, yes. And, uh, you know, you've got bears and you've got the usual, you know, things in the woods and so forth, uh, snakes and so forth. And, you know, you, you can stay awake and worry yourself or you can get asleep and hope and 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 at least you'll be better able to deal with things if something goes mm. off, you know. But mm. like as long as you take precautions, like keeping your food properly packed, keeping it away from the camp. So nothing with a fragrance should be in the tent because it draws animals into the tent. Um I went like three and a half thousand kilometers on the Appalachian Trail and I had no problem with any of the wildlife as long as I separated think with a fragrance from my tent. You know, mm. it was fine. Mm. It was fine.
3: So taking us on then from the Pyrenees in September 2021, 20, uh, Mont Blanc, the yeah. tour, you did the... the uh, I did the
2: Tour to Mont Blanc, which mm. is a 160 kilometer tour. And then there's a couple, there's several alternates that you can do to add on to the tour itself. So I think I did about 180k altogether over a period of a couple of weeks. And um, it's a nice tour. It's a it's a really, really scenic area to go to. Lovely fantastic photographs again meeting lots of nice people and uh tent again you know so uh that was that was quite that was quite were terrific, you
3: ever yeah. in a tent at night when the weather went yes
2: yes yeah i you i, don't I yeah, about absolutely mad. absolutely yeah like the tent i i, I took on the uh, tour de mont blanc weighs half a kilo uh 500 grams it's nothing you know um and uh Unfortunately, uh, it's it's not as strong as a heavier tent might be, and I do remember in the in in the uh, on the Tour de Mont Blanc, like at four o'clock in the morning, like uh, holding the tent up on the inside and hoping the hole that wasn't going to crash in on top of me, you know. <laughs> but uh, as you yeah, so like you may have an odd night uh, yes. where things don't work out. But in the main, it's fine. You know, it's fine. And you've got the flexibility. You know, you don't have to stop at a refuge or a hotel or something. You, If you want to keep going into the night, bring your head torch, switch it on, hike in the dark, find a place, camp.
3: And will you see lights coming towards you or behind you as well? Do others uh, do this? Y-
2: y- you do see lights coming towards you but they tend to be red lights and yellow lights and what they actually are are animals' eyes looking at you because uh, the trail lights up with eye reflections at yes. night time and that's uh, that's interesting as well, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it <laughs> is.
3: So then, uh, January of this year, Scotland, you were in Scotland twice, did, did you have COVID in
2: between or...? or um, I got to Scotland to do a winter mountaineering course um, in January Yeah. Uh, where... Uh, At like uh, almost 61 years of age, I uh, uh, learned how to abseil off a thousand meter uh, snow covered mountain, uh, which is a little bit crazy (laughs) for me. It was crazy anyway. And uh, that was fun. And um, then in in February, unfortunately, I I had COVID. It was very mild. Uh, No big deal. I fully vaccinated. Mm. And uh then in March, I was able to get back to Scotland Over again, yeah. and that was great. And uh, then in April and May, uh, I, I got to uh, the Himalayas. Uh, so where
3: in the Himalayas. Everyone knows yeah. Everest, of course. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I uh, uh, flew to Ka- Kathmandu, got the little light aircraft uh, to um, Lukla Airport, which is a little tiny landing strip. It's one of these. Um, they call it the most dangerous airport in the world. It's 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 got a tiny landing strip that uh, you 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 get uh, one attempt to land at it. If if you don't make it, it there's no go around, You know. Yeah. So uh, thankfully, as you can see, everything was fine. But it was a bit of a thrill, even just landing there. And then you hike for a couple of weeks. Uh, and you 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 know, we went to like Everest space Camp. We went to the uh, memorials for all the various people that lost their lives mm. out there, which was very emotional. Um, and then we went to a peak called um Island Peak, which is just under six thousand two hundred meters, um, glacial area, snow area. We weren't unfortunately able to summit because of bad weather. um and uh, so we got to we got to within about two hundred meters of the summit and unfortunately had to turn around, you know?
3: well, safety is the is the priority yeah, of course. Absolutely, absolutely, and, absolutely and you yeah. know that yeah. people may not understand, explain, and I know this even Everest Base Camp, you have to be of a health and an ability to even go there.
2: Yeah, well, Everest Base Camp is at 5,300 yes. metres. Yes. Uh, so People so, think it's at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. yeah so like uh, to to get to Everest Base Camp, you've got to get to 5,300 metres mm. above sea level. Mm. Uh, and for us that have lived our lives at sea level, like that's, that's quite a transition, yes. you know. But, but no bother to you. Well, I didn't have any trouble. I didn't really have any problem. But in fairness, you're walking to it uh, gradually, you're gaining height gradually, and your body is adapting so as long as you approach altitude gradually and slowly then you you should be you should, you should it's
3: like diving the other way up correct, the bends correct. That you, you don't want to go down too quick yes. you don't want to go up too quick either. Yeah. isn't that key. interesting yes. Yes. but you know you have a level of of ability and fitness with all of this that that you've done as well and i thought i was going to leave it there the himalayas but yeah you're going back there
2: yeah, I'm going back in a week or so. Yeah, and two, you've two been to
3: the Italian and French app, yeah, Alps in between.
2: Yeah, so in uh, June <laughs> uh, we went to climb. Uh, went I w- Well, I went uh, and I joined a group that were climbing Mont Blanc. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, there was a big uh, rockfall at Mont Blanc, and um, the main routes were, were blocked off. So we went and climbed uh, glacier um, um, a mountain. In the, it's the highest freestanding mountain in Italy, which is uh, called uh, Grand Paradiso. And that's just over 4,000 metres and it was a really nice, really nice uh, hike on it last year. Uh, and then came back down and we went, did another one then called Monte Rosa, which has a number of different peaks and we summited around about 4,600 metres with maybe three days on it last year, you know. So
3: I think Jerry and the pacemakers wrote the song about you, Walk On. <laughs> I don't think it was about the football I club. I well, 500 yeah. <laughs> But tell me this, Paul. In all you've, Walked. Mm. What would you reckon in terms of distance you've walked? Did you ever oh, have yeah. even a, roughly? What would you think you've
2: uh, I, covered? I, I, that's a question I've, I have. you've I, never even you put your mind to I that, have you? Even, never even thought about that. Most it of my things are relatively short, like they're you I know, know o- under you, <laughs> a couple of hundred, under <laughs> a couple of hundred. But
3: oh, hold on, when you, you add them all the together going, yeah. and the yeah. Appalachians and all yeah. these as well, it's yeah. some distance. Is there somewhere you've left that is your ambition to go to? You know, you mention all of these wonderful places. Is there somewhere you'd like to go?
2: Well, uh, what I what I'd like I, I'd like to explore actually a little bit more around Ireland. <laughs> I, there's a there's a there's a wack, there's a wacky answer, you know, but like there are places in Ireland that I haven't been to, so uh, I I really do. And as I I have some friends in the local uh, hiking club here, the Trader Trackers, and. Um, we are. We are, We're on a mission. We have a list uh, of of hills to knock off here, and then Scotland. Like we, mm. you know, uh, you know, uh, mountains above three three thousand feet are called Munros. Uh, we have eleven of them here in Ireland. In Scotland, they have two hundred and eighty-two. <laughs> so,
3: ah, that's going to take it. That's going to take <laughs> it. That's, that's going to keep you <laughs> busy. Yeah, time. that's, that's going to keep you busy. Absolutely. Yeah. No,
2: the thing is, we want to mention
3: you are going to be appearing in the Drehid Art Centre. Tell us about this.
2: Yeah, um, the uh, Boyne Valley Trails are running a week-long festival uh, promoting uh, walking and walking-related aspects uh, from the 19th to the 25th uh, of September. And uh, as part of that, uh, they've asked if I will do a presentation on the Appalachian Trail and maybe some other aspects in the Art Centre on uh, next Monday evening, the 19th, from 730
3: that's this day week, folks, day week, and yeah. I don't want to steal his thunder. He spoke to me about the Appalachians before, but you've got to go along and listen to this guy and hear about all his experiences that he's had walking, just not in the Appalachians, but all over the world. So that's in the Dreyhead Art Centre this night week. What time is that at? 7.30. OK, and if you can book, book with Dreyhead or show up on the night, you know what I mean? Yeah, It'll yeah. Be, Tickets
2: know. are available with Dreyhead Yes, Arts.
3: and it's part of that festival that's happening. Now, you uh, were visiting, you, you, you walked
2: to a Moor Hall. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. On the
3: outskirts of Drogheda, and yes. I want to mention some people. You, yeah, knew.
2: I just want to say hello to all the families and friends up in Moorhall uh, Lodge today. Uh, my mother, Peggy McGuire, is there, and my father-in-law, Johnny Gregory, and Auntie Bay. <laughs> so, hi guys, hope you're all well. <laughs> hello to you all,
3: and I know of Mrs. McGuire for years, and the people you mentioned, and Johnny Gregory, of course, of course, yeah, course. Yeah. My, our school teacher from yeah, yeah. St. Joseph's John, years Johnny's ago. my father-in-law. Yeah, right? and I want to say hello to everybody up yeah. there, all those people that Paul mentioned, and everybody as well. And delighted you're tuned in to us here on. Late lunch on LMFM radio this afternoon. Well, I think there's only one song for you to finish up today, and uh, as I said earlier on on the show, and this morning when I was teeing up what was coming up on late lunch this afternoon, I said, "God, this this man, he has to have worked te- walked ten thousand miles or more." So it is in saying goodbye to Paul Maguire and he will be back to tell me about that next adventure. It's the Proclaimers. I would
7: walk 500.
3: Louise with your sporting hat on Shane Lowry (laughs) winning the golf yesterday yeah it was great wasn't it oh what a man what Mm. a man you just have to love him love when he wins and he's been you know this year he's been there and thereabouts Louise honestly he's been knocking on the door without getting a big win and yesterday's was huge at the BMW and he had a right cut at the crew who are breakaway with the Live Golf series this is a breakaway that's happening in golf for huge money backed by uh, Middle Eastern monies and he just had a nice little cut there but he had to get by John Ram who shot a great round yesterday so Larry finished on 17 under par Ram was 16 and Rory his mate Rory McElroy, mm-hmm. had a put on the last to send it to a playoff they would have been both on 17 under but he missed the putt Louise by a smidgen you didn't see it did you? by a smidgen Rory missed it but I laughed when Shane was coming out, having signed his card and everything. Rory was going in and they gave each other a big hug. You know, Shane gave him a bear hug. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> other, and you could see they were exchanging words. But you just caught, as he moved away from uh, McElroy smiling, he says one out of that you've won enough <laughs> awards to that effect to McElroy you know what I mean but they're good buddies they really are and great to see two Irishmen up there challenging for the top prizes in golf I well believe done. he was partying a lot of the night well he was my, I, I've heard reliably that he was in the airport in this morning in the same oh clothes my. that he finished yesterday evening <laughs> on the golf course so take from that what you like he was flying to Italy this I morning I
5: Harrington has reported he was trying to ring him at half three this morning <laughs> there was no answer so he was either kind of partying too hard or asleep
3: he wasn't asleep I can tell you <laughs> <laughs> he certainly wasn't asleep. in the corner uh, well I, I've been known to do that myself at times <laughs> but not I wouldn't say Shane he's well able for it anyway she, she is I don't know what it is it's karma you in sport but Louise on a serious note referees not showing up to referee games yeah. is a no-no isn't no, it not good you had you were the uh, what would I say the victim or others were ah, the weekend a, weren't they?
5: I think yeah I think there was in uh, you know girls teams and they lined up yesterday in the absolute lashings of rain, and the referee didn't show up.
3: And the team travelled from Dundalk to play Fekin, wasn't it?
5: Yeah. And
3: th- those people and their children came from Dundalk to fulfil that fixture. You now, having all there. said that,
5: I don't know if the ref has had made contact with the team kind of after. Or there, thereabouts, but
3: it doesn't matter. After there should have been contact before, yeah. and there should have been word of a referee. No, I'm not saying there can be exceptional circumstances from time to time, and we understand that emergencies. But it does happen at times because of either administration mix-up or something else, which is shocking for all the people mm-hmm. who are just arrive.
5: disappointing for the yeah. kids, like
3: and it. Bucketing out of the heavens. Yeah. They were all there. They wanted to play. And then there was no game. And the team had to head back up the M one to Dundalk and no game taking place. Not right. wet. Not right at all. Really not right. Anyone else experienced that no show referee stuff? Do you have you in your time recently or in the past, have you anything to say on it? It was soccer, yes, It wasn't we're talking mm. about. It was soccer just to say. Uh oh eight six, eighteen hundred, six five, eight.
5: Is there an obligation on them to just you know? Contact a club or whatever in advance, or
3: it's decency, yeah. it's manners, it's respect, it's the way it should happen. Totally frustrating and annoying for all concerned, and especially uh, the girls yes. who are due to play. But the in
5: match. fairness, we don't know what happened. So the man no, could no. Have broken down on the way to the match, or anything like that. So.
3: I accept all that, but <laughs> it does happen. It does happen um, more than it should, not just in soccer, but Gaelic and other sports as well, where a referee is required. The Late Lunch Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. Yes, it's time for a new one at the start of this week. And I have to say honestly to you, I've never featured an artist in all the artists I've featured who has written so many songs and released more albums or singles than this woman. Along with her mainstream hits last year, 2021, she had yet another hit on the US country music charts, her seventh decade to do so, going back to the 1960s. Who is she? She's one of the most successful ...successful and honoured country music stars of all time. From Tennessee, one of 12 children, born Dolly Rebecca Parton on January 19, 1946... And Raird, listen to this, in a one-room cabin, 12 of them, in a one-room cabin, by her mother, A.V. Lee, and dad, Robert, who was a small farmer and construction worker. Her musical abilities she credits, came from her mother, while her shrewd business acumen comes from her father's side. Dolly began performing as a child, singing on local radio and TV shows in East Tennessee. At 10 years of age, she appeared on larger statewide media and by the age of 13 recorded her first single, Puppy Love. Next stop was the Grand Old Opry where she met Johnny Cash who gave her encouragement to pursue a career in... In the business On graduation from high school At the age of 18 in 1964 Dolly immediately moved to Nashville Where initially she found success As a songwriter But this would lead to her becoming A performing artist in her own right More and on Today let's hear from my artist of the week Miss Dolly Parton
7: Here you come again Just when I've begun To get myself to Right in the door, just like you've done before, and wrap my heart round your little finger. Here you come again. Touch when I'm.
3: Ah, hasn't she just the sweetest voice? Brilliant, Miss Dolly Parton, my artist of the week on your late lunch all this week. I'm looking forward to hearing more of her songs and music. She's simply fantastic. And what a life story she has too, which I'll dip in and out of over the coming days. Elton John and Britney Spears with their new one there, a duet version of Tiny Dancer. Hold me closer from the uh, two legends of pop. Now, I did ask you earlier on, where does the Nanny River flow into the sea? Where, the village it does. It's Laytown Village, and I have tickets to give away to Helen McCormick, David Wood's and Kim Callahan, A pair of tickets each to Nanny Fest that's happening at Nanny's Interleague this weekend. And joining me to tell me more is the manager there, Colin Horgan. Afternoon, Colin. How are you? How's things? I'm good, and yourself? Well, what's happening this weekend? Well, we're looking
9: forward. We have a, the countdown is on basically now for, for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for Nanny Fest. So we're, fingers crossed, the clouds blow away and the rain dissipates and we've got sunshine for the weekend which we're looking like we, we hopefully will have. And um, So we've got a full line up. Uh, we have a dedicated live music stage starting at 4 o'clock on Friday, running into the night and then all day Saturday and Sunday. We have kids entertainment, we've full barbecue bar food, we've we got full bar service and then um, we've just got uh, a packed weekend of entertainment across uh, Saturday and Sunday as well.
3: The weather's with you. I can tell you that. I've been looking at the forecast into next weekend. So, fingers crossed, as well as they can tell ahead, it is going to be good. So, you have something happening outside of the main premises?
9: That's it. Yeah, to the rear of Manny's, we have. Um, uh, We've got a large car park space which are in the process of of clearing out and making ready now. So we have um, units being moved in. um, We have stages coming in. And then... we have kids' entertainment units being set up, so it's going to be an outdoor event. So, like you say, hopefully our weather stays with us. And um, we've got a, a full-packed weekend there with the, with the live music especially. That's kind of a, a big focus for us over the weekend. We've got 15 acts playing across the stage uh, across the three days, Friday, Saturday and Sunday.
3: And details are available online from Nannies.ie, and you can book your tickets or call into the place and pick up your tickets as well. I take it.
9: Yeah, absolutely. You can get. uh, We're we're updating our information across social media, so Facebook, Instagram. Um, We're going to be releasing our full lineup um, tomorrow morning. It's going to be our full lineup, which will give everyone um, a good, uh, an exact listing of times and. Days for the various different acts that are playing, and tickets are available on Eventbrite.ie if you just search for Nanny Fest, and then also available um, in Nanny's uh, at the bar, and they'll be available right up until each day as well. So if anyone, um you know, decides on short notice to come on the Friday. Um, from 4 o'clock or Saturday from 12 or Sunday from 12. Tickets are available in Manny's and then we'll be issuing wristbands then for the the day passes or the weekend passes, whichever people prefer to to, to get.
3: You're open how long now and it's going well for you there? Yeah, it's going very well. We opened back in March and
9: things have just been getting bigger and busier for us, which is great so um i mean a big thing for us because we're based out uh, in the center delhi a big thing for us is the local community which is a big part of manifest as well that obviously we all still have the the memory of of uh, the lockdowns and and restrictions and everything so this is kind of a a chance for us to say you know we're here and we want to bring the community together through, you know, involving families and entertainment and bringing the whole package together over this weekend. So, no, things are going great at the moment and hopefully then we'll continue to do so into the future.
3: We'll be with you on Friday with Late Lunch. Looking forward to that eventbrite.ie for your tickets or drop in to Nanny's. It's sure to be a cracking weekend and we'll be there to see it underway on Friday afternoon. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. That's Colin Horgan there from Nanny's Into Leak, bringing the curtain down on Monday's Late Lunch. Tomorrow, Tuesday, empowering children to embrace and celebrate their unique talents. You'll enjoy this, I promise you. Two on Tuesday, Artist of the Week and no more wet dogs. What's that about? You'll have to join us to find out. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive, but we leave you today in the company of the wonderful Lisa Murray and her latest single. See you tomorrow at Half One.
0: been kind of heartless, took it in my stride Never tried to be dramatic until the other night I saw you dance with her Everything after that is a blur I had to leave Cause secretly I'd like to be yours But I've been hurt before If I ever see I'd get these feelings off my chest If I ever see you again I'd tell you why I often left If I ever see you again I'd tell you a lie about how I feel If I ever see you again I'd ask if we could be more
2: LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on
1: 87 660
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra